This is the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler warning for the Knights of the Old Republic series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. everyone uh today we have another great episode not well actually like all all of our episodes are wonderful in like our humble opinion but uh today we are joined again by pete uh how are you doing pete i'm doing pretty good how are you i'm uh, doing well and then uh, and brian is doing well i was gonna say how are you doing brian so <laughs> i'm uh, i'm I am doing great. We are we are hot off of the 100th episode and feeling good and excited to uh, have Pete back with us today. Yeah. Uh, so before we kind of get talking about what Star Wars can learn from Dune, uh, we were going to, you know, kind of hype up Letterboxd. And uh, the first question for both of you guys are, what are your last four watched? And kind of give us like a one to three sentence about each of them. All right. Did we want to start with the ones we've seen in theaters? Um, just like your last four watched, like it can be either. Oh, okay. So the last four I've watched is Leon the Professional, uh, Ophelia, the one with Daisy Ridley. And the French Dispatch, and then Princess and the Frog. Oh, very nice! Oh, yeah, so, it's yeah. a very that's a varied list of films there. Yeah, so. kind of a little all over the place. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, did you see any of those at the theater? Or? I saw the French Dispatch in the theater. I went. I had a really random theater experience with that one because it hasn't been playing at my local AMC's. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever for whatever reason, it just never came. But there's a an indie theater about 30 minutes from me, and I was just like, you know, I want to see this movie enough to where I'll make that trip. Uh, so I drove about 30 minutes to get there. Buy my ticket. I'm the only one. I don't see anyone else in theater. I get in. The screen is completely black, and then I hear the audio playing and i was just like huh, i wonder if wes anderson just was thinking this was the art, the artistic choice to start the movie just with like <laughs> atmospheric noises mm-hmm. um and then i hear angelica houston's voiceover and realize that they forgot to turn on the projector oh uh, okay <laughs> so it was a very odd experience almost dreamlike because i was sitting in this theater all by myself with this blue atmospheric lighting um so i just i walk out and i talk to him and thankfully they were able to turn it back on and restart the movie (laughs) but i was able to see the entire thing after a weird experience of taking a trip to this theater in the middle of nowhere by myself (laughs) yeah it's good you kind of stood up for yourself and are like i graced your theater with my presence (laughs) like I want to see this in its uh, entirety, like images and sound, you know? Yeah, because it would have just thrown with me the entire rest of the time not seeing those first, like, two and a half minutes. Yeah. 
I, I think I was just like, just re- I'm the only one here. <laughs> like, yeah. So like, think I wasn't re- trying to be um, polite about it, but also just like, I would like to see the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, well, that's good that they got it sorted. I totally would have just sat there and just not s- seen the movie. I just would have listened to the whole thing because I never would have went out and said anything. I would have just sat there. So, yeah. Any other notes on your the last four you watched or Ophelia was actually pretty good because uh, mm-hmm. I, I I like Shakespeare, I like Hamlet, so it was interesting seeing that story from Ophelia's perspective, there's some certain liberties that were taken that I wasn't a huge fan of, but I was still appreciated that they tried to do some bold things. Um, I'm trying to think of some, I finally watched Leon the professional. I thought that was good. Mm -hmm. I really like Gary Oldman is such a great villain. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I enjoyed that movie. I watched Princess and the Frog for the first time since I first saw it in theaters like 12 years ago. Um, It made me miss 2D animation a lot. Uh, Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, because that movie, I like that movie, but I think a part of why I like it more is because of the 2D animation. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely definitely lends to the amount of character um, it gives. Uh, watching something that's you know in in two D and hand drawn, and I mean they can do a lot of cool stuff with the two D stuff with, you know, within like computers now, um, you know, and get some really like uh, epic scales. But yeah, it's something something very charming about the two D and the way they have to yeah. utilize it to tell the story. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, what are your last four watched, uh, Brian? Let's see. So my last four watched. Uh, one of these was at the uh, movie theater. Uh, the other three were at home. So I watched Jungle Cruise uh, the day it came out onto Disney+. Plus. Um, I watched Finch, which is a Tom Hanks film. It's on Apple+. Plus. Uh, I watched The Wizard of Oz, the seminal classic from 1939. And I saw The Eternals in the movie theater uh, just this week, just a couple of days ago. Yeah. And then, like, uh, I guess, like, any thoughts about those ones or... Yeah, so um, Jungle Cruise was um, kind of what I'd imagine. Like, I, a lot of people that saw it in the theater when it was first out um, or rented it on Disney Plus said that it was much better than they kind of imagined it was going to be. And that's how I felt about it, too. Um, it gets a little complicated at the end, I think. Um, maybe a little uh, unnecessarily. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was really fun. My parents were in town. So, you know, trying to kind of watch things that, that I'll enjoy and that they'll enjoy. Uh, Finch was really good. It's Tom Hanks. It's like this sci-fi future, uh, you know, kind of apocalypse kind of thing where he makes a robot companion to go with him and his dog. It's real sad and got me real uh, choked up at the end. So heads up on that if you decide to watch Finch. But, you know, Tom Hanks is great. So you should watch him and uh, whatever he he does there. Um, yeah, nothing really to say about the uh, the Wizard of Oz that's not been said. And the Eternals uh, was really good. I really liked kind of a getting a fresh perspective on these uh, Marvel films. I thought Chloe Zhao did a really good job with the film, and it looked incredible. So uh, yeah, give that one give that one a watch if you're uh, if you're into the Marvel stuff and if you want a something a little bit different than what you've been watching. Uh, when it comes to the superhero films. Yeah. 
I mean, I kind of, in my review of Eternals, I'm like, it's Spaceship Earth, the movie, or at least the closest thing we'll get to that. And I loved mm-hmm. it. Like, it just is different for Marvel. Like, I was kind of sick of, like, the Marvel formula, and this is switching it up, and people mm-hmm. shouldn't hate it, so. Yeah. Yep. Um, but my last four watched, uh, I watched Beans, which is a coming-of-age film that deals with the indigenous experience uh, in Canada. It's based on real events. Mm-hmm. Um, Huni recommended it, and uh, I'm going to say this name wrong, but I'm really trying, and I apologize for, uh, you know, getting it wrong, but uh, Caviento uh, is going to be an amazing Katara in the live-action um Avatar The Last Airbender that Netflix is doing. Uh, she she was mm-hmm. just an incredible actress. And then it's funny, like, I think it was just the, the week for weird French dispatch uh, viewings because I accidentally got there a bit late because usually there's like 25 minutes of previews. So I'm like, oh, it's only like 17 minutes. I'm going to be fine. But it started and I'm like, oh. okay, I guess that's on me. You know, like I, I should have known that... You know, mm-hmm. like, I can't count on all the padding of previews, you know, but uh, I just thought it was, it was cool. It was like a literary magazine married to, like, you know, the Wes Anderson style. I'm going to rewatch it because I was kind of interrupted as I was seeing it and just had to, you know, take a phone call. And so it was kind of disappointing to have to miss some of it. So we'll have to rewatch it. Um and then the other one was Romeo and Juliet, which um, it was going to be played uh, in in the UK, uh, like in the National Theatre. Like it, it starred uh, Josh O'Connor as Romeo, you know, and I believe, oh, okay. is it Jenny Buckley, I think, is Juliet? I should know that off the top of my head. I'm just going <laughs> to open up Letterboxd as we speak. And through the magic of editing, we can like, you know, kind of just... Make sure that this is seamless. Jesse Buckley. Uh, not Jenny. So there You're we go. You're very close. And, very close. Yeah. So close. Tragically close. But like it was just so interesting. Like the acting was so good. And mm-hmm. in a world that like, you know, kind of looks down on Romeo and Juliet. I'm like, it's my favorite. It's my favorite Shakespeare play. Sue me. You know, like, I'm sorry. I love it. You know, Um but this adaptation wasn't quite a film or a play. Mm-hmm. Like, but sections of what this was, like, I think hit deeper than than the original. And I'm just like, wow, like, I just loved it so much, you know? And then um, I actually just watched Tick, Tick, Boom, which came out literally today. Um, oh, okay. I just was like so impressed by I've always been so impressed by Andrew Garfield honestly like I'm surprised he doesn't have an Oscar yet but I was just impressed by the film and I'm like oh cool it's about a person uh having an existential crisis at you know 30 wow um and just like I don't know in a way it it was kind of like a slap in the face to like I don't know, like, actions speak louder than words, you know, like, 
create something like you don't know how how long you have you know so yeah Yeah. so those are my last four uh what are your favorite four you've seen in theaters if you're lucky enough to see four in theaters this year okay uh go ahead go ahead pete okay hmm dune would be the top one that's easy uh I'm trying to think of some other ones. Green Knight uh, would be in there. French Dispatch would all I would also put in there. Uh, and then the last duel with uh, Spencer being just outside the top four. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a very good list of films to have gone and seen at the theater for sure. Uh, it's it's definitely more uh, highbrow than uh, what I've been to see at the movie theater so far. So uh, take a trip back in time. Uh, I went on vacation for like two weeks, the week that the last duel and like uh, James Bond No Time to Die came out, um, something else. So I did not get to see any of those at the movie theater, which is very disappointing to me, but but that's okay. I did get to see Dune at the movie theater. So yeah, that's my that's my number one. Um, and then otherwise, it's just been the Marvel stuff. So I saw Black Widow and I saw Shang-Chi and I saw the Eternals films uh, in the theater. And uh, I think that that's okay because those are three of my more favorite of the Marvel films because I thought that, that they were all you know, kind of more interesting and uh, took some chances on some different things and didn't feel quite as formulaic as some of the other Marvel films. So they were a good reintroduction back to going out to the movie theater for me. Uh, Black Widow was the first thing that I'd seen in theaters since uh, I think The Rise of Skywalker was the last thing that I saw in a theater, actually. Um you know, prior to, you know, kind of everything shutting down and then uh, finally getting open back up here this spring. So uh, those were those were my top four that I've seen at the theater so far this year. Uh, hopefully going to get out a couple more times. Uh, by the time this comes out, I will have seen Ghostbusters uh, in the theater. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully a couple more. And then we've got some good stuff coming out around uh, Christmas time, too. So, yeah, uh, my four favorite I, I saw in theaters was. I think, like, my favorite, I I purposefully didn't, like, include Dune in my list because, like, we're going to be talking a whole lot about Dune later. If I had to put Dune yeah. in these lists, like, I would, your top, like, Your top four was just Dune four times. It was, you know? <laughs> like, for each time I planned to see it, plus more, you know? But uh, my number one, I would say, is Spencer. Um, it just... Kristen Stewart won an Oscar, you know, like she just won it already. And like when she wins it, you know, next year, it's a mere formality. She won it. And if for some reason she doesn't win it, she was robbed. So I'll just, I'll just say that. Uh, And then uh, last night in Soho, instead of like, uh, I was like, I don't want to deal with trick or treaters. I'm like, I'm going to see last night in Soho. Um, Loved the soundtrack, loved the movie. And I loved the ending. I really don't know why people thought it was controversial. I just, uh, spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen it, like just forward, maybe, uh, 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Yet. I'm, I'm muting you. Cause I still haven't seen it, but I am real excited to see it. So, okay. But the ending was perfect <laughs> and I loved it and more movies should end, you know, like, uh, with people saying they understand each other. So, 
Uh, hope okay, you're you're safe, Brian. Uh, okay, good. I, I kind of purposefully like edited out a lot, so I, Thank just you. in case you weren't able to, you know, <laughs> not hear. And then that's right. It's funny, like Free Guy isn't on this list, but I did enjoy it. But like when I was seeing the previews for it, there was like a a preview for the last duel, and I was like, "What's going on in this trailer?" Because like it was like I was like this performance in the trailer alone is like amazing and I need to see it and then like I come to find out like Jodie Comer was playing kind of two different roles in Free Guy and then like you know did The Last Duel and I was like wow like I I really enjoyed The Last Duel I mean I read the book before it came out and it was an interesting way to tell the story, like, three interpretations have one that's the truth. And mm-hmm. I think it was Jodie Comer's movie, but, um, Pete, one question. What is it called when it's, like, three different versions and then you find out what the truth is? Is it a Rashomon? Yeah, that's, uh, I think Rashomon's the one that originated it. That's what I always think of. Uh, which is an excellent movie, by the way. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, Rashomon style. That's what I've heard it called. Yeah. And then uh, The Green Knight, even though it feels like it came out 74 years ago, and I realize <laughs> I'm having yeah. you on again, and it hasn't been released. I've just been working on a short film, and once that's once the script is done, I swear I'll release it so people can hear it, and, like, it's not made up, and they'll know <laughs> that. But um, The Green Knight is, like, what I watched... Like, it was the first uh, film that I saw in a long time. Like, I mean, technically, I saw Raya the Last Dragon, but, like, even though it's a good film, you know, but... Uh, it was good, yeah. Yeah, but Green Knight, like, it's... It helped me kind of fall in love with stories and film again, and I think this is a recurring theme when Arthur is like, what's your story, Gowan? And it's like, oh... I felt that, you know, in, like, all of my soul, you know, like, but I'm just a nerd. I love legends made relevant, you know, and, uh, yeah, so the the final kind of part of this letterbox, kind of the last four, is what are four films you watched at home, like, in 2021 that, that are your favorite? Let me, I'm going to have to go to my activity here. Well, I've seen like quite a few films in 2021. <laughs> um, so, hmm, I'm trying to think of favorites I've seen. I think, well, A Hidden Life is one, uh, the Terrence Malick film that comes to mind. Uh, Silence, Martin Scorsese's film. I watched that back in January. That feels like decades ago. Let's see. There was an, I know there's more. Well, there obviously <laughs> just, off the top of my head, it's always just like, ah, oh, no, I forgot every movie I've ever seen. Oh, here's another. Well, Bottle Rocket would be another one uh, that I really liked. It was Wes Anderson's first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which really underrated. And let's see. I'm sure I'll probably think of something else later on, but this isn't a film. But I watched all of Cowboy Bebop and the Cowboy Bebop movie, so I guess it counts. And that would be, yeah, 
So that would be the top one of my favorite things I watched this year. Highly recommend Cowboy Bebop. That would be probably the favorite new thing I've watched. Yeah. Uh, okay. The I just started kind of in relation with that. I just started watching a live action adaptation today. It came out today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and I, I'm not so sure. It has some, the first episode I enjoyed, but I'm not, some of the decisions are a little head-scratching. Yeah. Um, but those are, I, whatever, whichever four I listed off, those are some of the top ones I've watched this <laughs> yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It it, uh, it gets hard to uh, keep track of what you've watched, like, because uh, the year feels like it's been going on forever and also for about a week um, all at the same time. Yeah. So definitely, definitely hard to keep track of. Um, yeah keep track of all those just trying to think off the off the top of my head for the ones that i saw at home Uh, a lot of them actually are the ones that uh, you guys made it out to the theater to see but i saw the green knight at home uh that's probably uh, up there uh probably my second favorite film of the year so far um i saw no time to die the james bond film i just watched that um you know as of recording this i watched it last week it finally came to uh be able to uh, rent to stream it at home so i finally got to see that um i didn't spoil that for you did i you no you did not know it was okay, it was good. it was really I'm good like, and i thought you saw it forever ago so i'm like oh no did i <laughs> did i spoil that for him oh, okay. no you, you didn't you didn't spoil it it was it was really good i enjoyed it a lot it was a good uh send off yeah. for daniel craig i thought um as his bond um so let's see so i watched i watched those those are two new ones um i watched an old movie that i hadn't watched in a long time but it's the uh the musical adaptation of chicago which is absolutely brilliant uh watched yeah. that a couple weeks ago for um my other podcast drink the movies um it, it's it's exceptional and i hadn't watched it in a long time and i forgot how good it was um really great and then probably my favorite film of the year so far uh, my contender, at least as of right now, for Picture of the Year, it's probably not going to get there, but I'm hoping it at least gets nominated because it's pretty brilliant. It's uh, an Apple TV uh, Plus original film, and it's Coda, and it's exceptional, and everyone should go watch it. What's um, it about? Uh, so it is about, so Coda stands for Child of Deaf Adults, and it's basically about a girl who, uh, and her both of her parents and her brother are deaf, and she is not. Um, and so it's kind of like the struggle of like keeping this uh, family together while she has, you know, kind of her own hopes and ambitions um, and things. Uh, she's a high schooler. Uh, it's it's really excellent. It's a beautiful uh, story. Um, it's it's well written. Obviously, a lot of it is, you know, subtitled and in um, sign language, uh, you know, uh, for obvious reasons. And it's it's really, really good. So if you have Apple TV Plus and you should because that's what Ted Lasso is on. Uh, you should go ahead and watch Coda because it's excellent. Yeah, I'll, I'll add that to my uh, watch list, and I need yeah, to see I... Ted Lasso. I feel guilt, you know, for like. Oh, Ted Lasso! You gotta watch me. <laughs> I, know, I know. Yeah, I, I think you would. I think you'd really like uh, Coda, Cassia. I've been. I keep forgetting to watch that. I've heard great things about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, I'm adding it to my to my watch list, Ryan. So. Yeah. Thanks for right. the recommendation. And then yeah, no problem. Yeah, and then my four. Um, number one was Lady Bird. Um, it's like my favorite coming of age film I've seen, and I wish I could have seen it in high school. Mm-hmm. 
even though it only came out, like, you know, not when I was in high school, you know? Like, I, I should have seen this opening night. I, I feel guilty for not seeing it until now, but I loved it, even though, like, at times I'm like, that's, you know, kind of disconcertingly similar at times to, like, my life. Like, you know, not, like, in a, in the, like, I don't know, because, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I probably was that, you know, kind of snotty, entitled, you know, like, teenager. I, I suppose we all are, but I'm like, oh, okay, I felt that, you know, as well. Um, and then I finally saw Parasite. Uh, enough said. Should have seen it sooner. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe that could be, like, the name of my uh, <laughs> biography or autobiography, but... Uh, yeah, there you go. I was so happy to see Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Like, I don't know why, but I, I love, like, you know, cave painting so much. And it was done by Warner Herzog. And, like, he has the best voice, you know? Uh, best think, narrator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Best narrator ever, especially if you're going to go to a cave. You, you don't want to hear, like, I don't know, like... If, if you're going to go into a cave, like, and it can be narrated, like, I would choose Warner Herzog, you know? Um, and funnily enough, when I shared that to my, to my, uh, Instagram profile, like, it might not be there by the time people listen to it, but if you search Warner Herzog in, like, GIFs, like, there's a GIF that comes up that says Warner Herzog would probably approve of this situation, and... You better believe I used it. Oh, so yeah, there you go. I like so, that. Yeah, like <laughs> so yeah. I feel guilty that I was introduced to him uh, in the Mandalorian, and like I, sh I should have seen this sooner, you know. And like I, I, I had no, I did, I didn't know he had such an extensive, you know, like uh, filmography of, of like, and he's a director, you know, and like. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's directed, like, hundreds of things, I think. Yeah. And then I saw Joder... Oh, it's Yodorowsky's Dune. Like, forgive my ignorance there, because it's not technically Dune, but it sort of is Dune, and I learned, <laughs> you know, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. And honorable mention, Cassia also saw Jurassic Park this year, finally, so... Yeah. Um, for I the first time? For the first time, but I saw it now, you know, maybe what years too late but i saw it you know so did yeah. you like it i i loved it i'm like five stars like uh i felt like it it kind of said stuff stuff about like humans and science technology and kind of captured like the wonder and horror of like dinosaurs so so yeah would recommend you know five <laughs> Amber sap tree things out of five, you know, so. Five for five would recommend. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So, yeah. So Letterbox is awesome. And, you know, Letterbox is kind of like the Goodreads for movies. You can kind of see what you've watched and record it. And, you know, great movies, you know, like Star Wars, you know, have plot twists and the plot twist of this episode is that we're not sponsored by Letterboxd, but in fact, <laughs> Zapendo. Yeah. Zapendo is a way that you can send documents with e-signatures, manage contracts, and edit documents, and track who has received them, and do it all from one place for 
much less than comparable sites. You can also assign stakeholders who would need to be aware of certain contracts, log issues, risks, and attach copies of the contracts, everything like that and more. That's right, yeah. Zapendo, it gives you the power to manage your contracts, edit them on the fly, send an e-signature, manage your expirations, alerts, and more. And all of that is unlimited with Zapendo, which sounds pretty great. So for more information, head on over to zapendo.com and you can start a free trial. And you can use Older Public 15 to save 15%. Again, that is zapendo.com to start your free trial. And remember to use the promo code OLDREPUBLIC15 to get 15% off of your subscription. All right, and we can get back to the episode. This is kind of an interesting question. Uh, we can, like, go Pete and then and then Brian, but what do you mm-hmm. guys think Star Wars is? Like, if someone asked you, like, what is Star Wars? Wow. A sprawling space opera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> space fantasy opera like it's so hard for me to actually narrow it down and just say it's one thing um, but at its core I guess it's a saga about a family and how they shape the galaxy a galaxy yeah Yeah, I guess I, get, oh, I don't want to make it too elaborate or, <laughs> but I guess that would be the elevator pitch yeah a space family opera that's that's pretty much how I see it too. And if you so if you go all the way back to the start of Star Wars, that's that's you know kind of what it started out as, right? As like this, uh, you know, kind of serial, um, kind of yeah, like you said, uh, family space opera. And obviously, you know, it's kind of expanded, you know, f- from that, and you know, really filled out this galaxy and uh, characters and storylines and timelines and all of that stuff. But it still keeps coming back to this family. Uh, space opera um you know it really in you know kind of any of the the mediums that you watch it in so if you're talking about the the movies and the original trilogy or prequel or sequel trilogy or any of the tv shows it all just comes back to that uh kind of family uh you know yeah kind of space opera uh kind of thing where you're you know just telling this family story at the at the heart of it and kind of this yeah kind of this kind of adventure tale uh swashbuckling uh kind of heart of this thing it just it just happens to be set in space you know and not on a on a pirate ship or in the old west or you know anywhere else where you might have these kind of serial adventures um yeah just kind of these yeah like you said family uh space opera yeah for me star wars is more like lord of the rings than star trek even though, like, Star Trek is in, mm-hmm. is in space. Like, it's like a space soap opera, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of more about the visuals and music at times. Kind of like Wagner. Like, is it Wagner or Wagner? I swear it's Wagner. <laughs> I probably uh, Wagner, would. Yeah. It would be Wagner, yeah. I'm a cultured person, you know? Uh, <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> George always, like, says, like, you know, it rhymes, like, uh, kind of like the, the ring theory, you know, that, that's how, mm-hmm. that's how I would describe it, you know? Um, yeah, and it's kind of this, you know, it's pretty much, at least it starts out in, you know, A New Hope as, like, a very traditional uh, kind of hero's journey 
uh, to set us off on this tale. And then, you know, we, we've talked about it before and talking about, you know, the ring theory and how, how that, you know, kind of, uh, you know, hero's journey, that circular path kind of, you know, expands out into other little rings, but, you know, that was kind of at the heart of it. And, you know, it just keeps, you know, getting bigger, bigger, you know, like throwing a rock into a pond and the ripples just keep moving out. But centrally at its core, yeah, it's that that family story and that hero's journey. Yeah. And then before we kind of switch topics to like what can Star Wars learn from Dune is the question that I think will kind of like uh, destroy us is what is Dune? Hmm. Um. That one really is a, a tough one to narrow down. <laughs> a warning, I about uh, yeah, a warning about heroes, messiahs. A ca- oh, no, 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 here's what I was trying to say: a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. That's what I would call Dune. Yeah, I, yeah, I like that. Um... Yeah, cautionary tale. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the sto- the story plays out right. Like you, you want to you know be wary of <laughs> the charges that you accept and uh, the uh, you know the lands that you try to take over and control and and things like that. So yeah, definitely a cautionary tale. You know, on a lot of different levels. And you know, Herbert did a really good job of of kind of weaving this. Uh, you know, a futuristic tale that doesn't feel futuristic and uh, using it to sort of, you know, kind of teach those lessons uh, in that tale. Yeah. This question, like, I, I'm in the middle of Dune Messiah right now, but, like, Dune, like, was the book that last year, it just, like, I was like, wow. Oh, my goodness. Like, just kind of destroyed me and, like, also rebuilt me, like, it was it was mm. a lot, you know. Uh, it was a it was a good like you know Corona read, you know. But in a way, like Dune is like Lord of the Rings, and it is like Star Trek, and it is like Star Wars. But it's not any of those things. It's its own thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I kind of wonder if like Frank Herbert did read, you know, like Joseph Campbell. And he was kind of like, I need to, like, make a cautionary tale about heroes. Because I think he actually did work for JFK. Uh, or he worked, like, as a speechwriter. And he was just kind of like, mm-hmm. the most dangerous politician is the one that everyone, you know, loves and adores. Like, if JFK, like, even though I think he was a good president, like... If he said, you jump, and they'd be like, how high? 10 feet. They'd be like, we're going to do 11 feet, JFK. You know, like, uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's just like, yeah, like, I like what you say, like, like, cautionary tale, you know, which, which is interesting because, I don't know, like, the Skywalker family, like, we kind of all kind of say it's like a soap opera, you know, like, the interesting thing about Star Wars is I think, like, it is kind of like a cautionary tale, and then also it is kind of like a straight-up hero- heroic journey, you know? So, mm-hmm. what is Dune? We do not know, you know? <laughs> we don't know, and I, and, you know, we've we've talked a little bit of, you know, before about how Dune was kind of this 
cultural, like, you know, kind of touchstone um, moment in terms of science fiction. And a lot of science fiction uh, really is kind of set out as a cautionary tale, you know, uh, you know, whether it be against, you know, technology or, uh, you know, utilizing the you know resources that you have incorrectly or uh you know pushing science too far and in nefarious ways so yeah i think i think a cautionary tale is a really good way to describe it and you know dune just kind of kicked off this whole uh you know kind of snowballing uh science fiction uh, you know kind of juggernaut going through the late 60s and then into the 70s obviously to uh star wars uh coming in in 1977 there yeah. So I it, it is funny cuz I I think it on the Old Republic podcast page I reviewed Dune and Sona's like you gave it 5 out of 5 stars like it's basically Star Wars it basically copied everything and like I was like I tr- I I I don't know. I feel like I tried to grow as a person and not be snarky. Like, well, the book was released in 1965 and uh, kind of inspired Star Wars. Like, I was just like, oh, the book was actually released in 1965, and like, the person still like was like, no, you're wrong. But um, <laughs> yeah, so Dune does have a lot of similarities with Star Wars. Uh, the book was released in 1965 and uh it had a massive impact on science fiction and popular culture i would Mm -hmm. i'd honestly say like sometimes like people say like isaac asimov is like the number one influence on science fiction today but i kind of wonder like if it is frank herbert instead but um yeah i think if you look at it so frank herbert writes dune and it's it's the science fiction tale but it's it's also like this big sweeping epic and if you look at the stuff that came out you know kind of directly after dune came out you had uh star trek come out in 1966 you had planet of the apes in 2001 space odyssey came out in i think 1968 i think um and then star wars so i think isaac asimov you know did a lot obviously uh really brilliant science fiction writer and kind of laid the groundwork for what what something, what it meant to be science fiction. But I think Dune really expanded it and said, you can take science fiction, but you can make it this big, huge thing, you know, create entire, you know, worlds and planets and situations around these things. It just kind of expanded the scope of it. And really that's one of the big things about Star Wars, obviously, you know, going on, you know, still to this day, you know, all the way from 1977, just the scope of Star Wars, you know, has just kept expanding, um, and in that same way. And I think that that's really what Frank Herbert was able to do uh, with Dune. Yeah. Um, I guess what what parallels do you guys see, like, between uh, Dune and, and Star Wars? I think kind of the basis, it starts out the same um, with Paul being, like, a chosen one type figure, getting thrown into an adventurer and you know having to deal with all this responsibility and choosing his path same with luke in a new hope and that's where the similarities kind of start but where where it always kind of i find interesting is how it ends so the similarities are there at the beginning but at the end they end in very 
different areas. Uh, so with like Paul's story being one more of like a, a tragic one, uh, Luke's ends of hope and optimism. And it kind of, I guess it more just reflects the worldviews of Frank Herbert and George Lucas. You kind of have to go back to them as people and see what they were saying about the world. And they've kind of, I think, have similar ideas, but they come to different conclusions. But that's more of on like just the grand overarching theme. Uh, Frank Herbert wanted to make like back to the whole cautionary tale thing, kind of critiquing the hero's journey and the downsides of a hero. Uh, and then, but that's on more of a geopolitical level of how a hero can affect the lives of billions of others. While George Lucas was talking about the hero at a level more personal as he wanted to inspire people to be heroes, not on a grand scale, but from just an everyday life, like in interviews, like with the one with Bill Moyers, he says like, you can choose to be a hero or not every single day of your life. And it can be the smallest action. So obviously he is conveying those themes over fantastical medium and in a world that's very van fantastic and unreal, but he conveys very human themes. I feel like Herbert is more focused on politics on a global scale and it's less personal. There's still personal personality and uh, relationships in his stories for sure, but I feel like George Lucas focused on that a little bit more. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. In some ways, like, it almost seems like a Song of Ice and Fire, uh, which became, like, the Game of Thrones TV series was inspired by Dune, because I'm like, oh, it's kind of like aristocracy, like, but in space, like, with Dune, like, a lot of powerful families kind of vying for power, and then you kind of see that uh, different families, like, vying for, for the throne in uh, Game of Thrones slash uh, a Song of Ice and Fire, like... So, kind of has a, I don't know, I feel like there was an inspiration uh, from Dune in, in that series. Yeah, and another, I, think... I just wanted to point out, on things more just kind of basic similarities, it can be even to Arrakis having two moons and Tatooine having two suns and something simple as spice being taken by George Lucas and used in a different manner in Star Wars or sand crawlers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you'll see there's plenty of those references, which I think stealing kind of minutiae from science fiction, that's just kind of what happens. It's yeah. like with fantasy. There's there's elves, there's dwarves, they're in every in everyone's fantasy story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um so I think that's probably how George Lucas viewed Dune in that type of sense. Um, like with just the minutiae, but I think it's kind of funny because I think there's an interview where Frank Herbert jokes about suing George Lucas, <laughs> um, <laughs> which it's, you can't, it's been written, it's in, in a newspaper, I think. So you can't, I think I can, you can kind of take the tone. It sounds like he's joking. Um, but I always thought that was amusing. Yeah, no, those are really good observations kind of on, on the more character level. I, And I don't see it as much in like A New Hope, but going forward into... 
um, through the original trilogy and then into the prequel trilogy, I think you start to pick up on more of those notes that we see in Dune, you know, about, you know, pillaging of natural resources and, um, you know, enslaving of people and taking over, uh, you know, their planet to for your own kind of monetary or, you know, political power uh, gain, you know, kind of stuff like that that we see from from the Empire and, you know, in through like the Clone Wars and things with the Separatists. So I think that there are some, you know, kind of parallels and inspirations uh, taken just on, um, like you said, on kind of a geopolitical uh, kind of a scale that you don't necessarily, like I said, see in A New Hope, which is more of just the straightforward uh, hero's journey. But as as the story of Star Wars kind of expanded, it started to, you know, bring those kind of ideas into the fold as well. Yeah, yeah. I think even something like the Trade Federation mm-hmm. reminds me of like the the guild in yeah. Dune. Kind of because definitely the prequels is more so the heavy-handed sci-fi political um, aspect is there. Yeah. I find politics, like, endlessly fascinating. And for me, like, the prequels are kind of most, like, the most overtly political um, trilogy in Star Wars, even though I think, like, there's there's politics in all of them. Um, but I, I just love that Anakin was kind of like the... the fallen tragic kind of cautionary hero and then luke it, it's kind of played a little bit more straight like like the hero's journeys which i guess kind of um happens you know like in the in the dune uh series as well like maybe mm-hmm. the father fails but like the the children succeed and kind of set things right you know yeah and there was a sandworm in the Mandalorian, so yeah, it was lovingly stolen from from Dune. <laughs> That's so, right, on a desert planet, no less. So, um, yeah. After kind of watching twenty, like after watching Dune this year, what do you guys think that Lucasfilm can can learn from Dune and kind of put into Star Wars? Do you think like are they kind of just two very different kind of stories being told or what do what do you guys think that uh star wars can learn from dune um that's a good question i feel like more so just from a storytelling perspective to focus on just getting creators to tell stories that they're invested in um, so this is more on, on a behind the scenes level, but someone like Denis Villeneuve uh, was just this massive Dune fan since he was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm reading the behind the scenes Dune book, The Art and Soul of Dune, which is just a fascinating book. I'd highly recommend it, but it goes into the making of the film and I already knew that Denis Villeneuve was very much involved involved with the the story since he was young, but I didn't just realize just how much of a fan he really is. And even like his graduation ring from high school had Muad'Dib inscribed in the inside of it. Um, But in relation to that, it's just amazing how they were able to get him. who was already familiar with the material 
and who was so excited to make this film and wanted to honor it as much as he could and make something very much that he wanted to see. He wasn't making that movie for anyone but himself, as and he said as much. Um, and I think one of the problems at Lucasfilm today is creators not having enough liberty. I don't necessarily know what the issue is because there's that whole thing with Patty Jenkins uh, going on where there might have supposedly some creative differences and that's why her project is being delayed. I don't really know how much merit that has. Um, Or even, or even the Ryan Johnson there, there's a new rumor about the Ryan Johnson's trilogy annually, Mm. annually, who knows what, who who knows what it is. Um, But, but even going back to someone like Lord and Miller, who, I mean, they were fired three fourths of the way through the production or the Benioff and Weiss or Michael Arndt during the production of The Force Awakens. Everyone forgets him, but he was, you know, one of the screenwriters. And I, I just, I don't really... And then the one guy that you gave complete control, the last, Ryan Johnson, had no issues during production. It went, that's the most smooth Star Wars production since it, it's been no taken leaks. over by... <laughs> Yeah, no leaks since it was taken over by Disney. That's been the most smooth, I think. And it's, in my opinion, it's the best thing to come out of the whole Disney era. And, but he, Ryan Johnson was given that same type of control and he had that same type of passion and adoration mm-hmm. that I think Denis Villeneuve had for Dune and has for Dune as he continues to make the second one and maybe even a third. But I think to kind of tie it all up, I think Star Wars just needs creators who like Ryan Johnson, like Denis Villeneuve, who are making these stories first and foremost for themselves because they would actually want to see it. Because um, I'm a firm believer that the best art is made when the artist is making something that they truly feel is a true expression of themselves um, and something that they are proud of. And I don't know what it is with Lucasfilm that there may be, there's some things where there's some micromanaging going on to where liberties can't be taken. And they have these kind of people that they're well-established and those are the only ones who can make certain decisions. People like Filoni and Favreau who are already comfortable. They've been there for a while that they have the liberties to take, can kind of do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I don't think Lucasfilm is corrupt. I love Captain Kennedy, like, yeah. but yeah. I, I wonder if there's just a hesitancy since the last Jedi to let creators just do what they want. Yeah. Um, Cause I get the feeling even with the rise of Skywalker, as I have my issues with it, it's, I still get the feeling that was the movie JJ Abrams and Chris Terrio wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And whether we like it or not, I still think that's a true uh, representation of the story they wanted to tell. So I do, I don't know ever, but I think ever since the rise of Skywalker, I think um, Lucasfilm has gotten a little cold Turkey. Yeah. And uh, seems to be s- taking approach towards fan service. But all that to say is I hope, I think Star Wars coming from Dune is just let creators be creators and do what they want. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's important to I kind of understand the differences I guess between 
Star Wars and Dune as like entertainment franchises, I guess. I mean, you have you have Dune. It's kind of this, you know, isolated story that's existed for, you know, all of Denis Villeneuve's uh, life. So you have, and yeah, and obviously he's uh, super passionate about it. So you want to bring that kind of energy to it. And but he's not really confined by anything else. Like this doesn't have to line up with any thing else that's mm, going true. on in Dune. And maybe that's maybe that's the real trick. And I think that maybe Lucasfilm has identified that um, as we're going back into like the High Republic and hopefully like expanding the timeline again. Because what happens when you try to cram everything into like a <laughs> like a thirty year window? You're going to have uh, conflicts come up and. Maybe that's part of the reason why uh, directors and, you know, there's there's some tension there. Um, also, I, there's just a ton of baggage that comes with directing a Star Wars project. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, so I, I could see that that would be off-putting uh, to, to some directors, right? Like, why would you <laughs> – like, like, unless you're really, like, completely all invested in wanting to tell, tell the story, yeah, I mean, you have to – I guess look at it from from your career and your <laughs> personal well being and your own mental health to to try to tackle this thing. But yeah, I think I think yeah, if we could just you know make sure, like I said, if we're expanding the timeline and giving directors the ability to have some more freedom, right? Like if we don't have to know where Luke Skywalker is all the time during your film, then that opens up you know a whole. Uh, you know, floodgate of creativity and, you know, options for filmmakers to have. Yeah, and having, like, a writer's team, like, you know, diverse voices in all the, like, different ways, you know, and also, like, diverse levels of Star Wars fans, I I think that's that's good to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Lucasfilm... I think people kind of forget it has always been a little bit of a, like, kind of by design, like, it's named Lucasfilm, you know? Like, Lucas was like, I don't want some person in Hollywood telling me what to do, but then, like, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but, like, Lucasfilm was always kind of like a benevolent dictatorship in some ways, because, like, Lucas always got final say in, like, he created the films he wanted, like, uh, mm-hmm. because I really don't think, like, a studio executive would would have seen, like, you know, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and definitely not the prequels, like, and been like, yep, sounds good, you do that, you know? Uh, so, kind of, if you look into it, like, uh, Lucas, like, in Return of the Jedi... Uh, he kind of hired an inexperienced director so he could kind of like tell the director like I kind of want this done this done and I think like the only thing uh, I shouldn't say the only thing that like was originally just Marquand's idea because I'm sure he he brought more to the table but like he's like yeah I think Leia should be in a gold bikini you know and but like it was kind of like very much like Lucas was kind of the one saying like let's have Ewoks be cute, you know? And, it, I mean, it's his money. It's it's his story being told. He created Star Wars. So, like, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, so I guess I'm just kind of saying, like, Lucasfilm has always been a little bit, like, one person, like, kind of making the decisions. And, like, even with Lucas gone, 
I'm I'm not gonna say like who the not that there's a conspiracy like one person is making you know the decisions and maybe those decisions are bad you know but like I think it's kind of more like directors coming onto projects like potentially the the pattern just kind of seems to be like they have a story they want to tell and then they can't tell it and then they don't really want to tell you know the story with with some tweaks like this is just me speculating like I don't know all the answers I'm not in the room you know like uh, mm -hmm. that's just, those are just kind of like what what I'm kind of hypothesizing I guess but I guess like for me like great art you know is timely it's timeless and it's made you know like with artistic merit and I think Dune passes the rules I, I give art you know so maybe that's really subjective and like doesn't really amount to much but uh, in Dune like I was I was blown away by the visuals because I couldn't really tell where uh, green screen started and and where you know the desert began the real desert you know mm -hmm. it, yep. it seemed real and lived in not quite like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Star Trek's visual identity it was an identity of its own it seemed futuristic yet like contemporary and I've seen some reviews and uh, they're wrong because they said this was worse than you know Tenet you know and I'm like you're wrong because this this had better sound mixing because Tenet I'm still mad about it like I could not hear three <laughs> days after I saw that and I'm just like it's gonna win an Oscar as I just know it in my bones you know like like Kristen yep. Stewart's gonna get her Oscar. This is gonna get the the sound mixing Oscar, and just like the overall, you know, presentation. Like Denny Villeneuve loved what he did, and like I'm not gonna say like a a book to film adaptation. The director always has to has to like read and like be obsessed or be a fan of the work. But like for Dune, it definitely needed that, and. Mm -hmm. You you can just tell that Villeneuve cared, and uh, I think you can kind of tell that Lynch, in his version, did not read it. You know, uh, as much as you know, he's he's a great director. It just kind of didn't gel, you know, and it was written so so well, like adapted so well. And I remember uh, a meme you shared, Pete, where it's like. Michael Scott uh, from The Office saying, where are all the hot people? You know, like, uh, the acting and casting was, was just perfect, you know, for Dune. Because I'm like, yeah, objectively, you know, they're all okay, you know? And yep, object. <laughs> so, yeah. And just, like, the editing, the score, and the sound design, loved it all. Um, I don't know. What... Are there different aspects you would like to kind of see Lucasfilm kind of take some notes from from Dune? Um, you know, maybe even just cutting down on budgets. 
Dune was about, let's see, maybe 150 million to make. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was more than that, but maybe. Um, but I know it was fifty-five oh, yeah, okay. million less than Black Widow. Okay. Yeah, it says that the yeah here on IMDb, yeah, showing the budget is one hundred and sixty-five million. So okay. So like, if you can make a movie like this under two hundred million, that's really impressive because it's better looking than any Marvel movie I've ever seen. Uh, it's better looking than most well maybe not most but like pretty much most they're pretty much right there with Star Wars at least I think it well yeah actually I would say it's probably better than most of the new Star Wars movies Um, and I think a part of that is just Denis Villeneuve and his craft Um, but also I think it has something to do with there's just an importance to where the blending of practical with CG. Like I don't have a problem with CGI. It's more so just like how you can blend it in with natural environments and make it look natural. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think that's where Lord of the Rings thrives for me. Um, is that cause you, cause Lord of the Rings has this grand scope and it's nature in New Zealand. And then you throw in all these CGI, but it, it mixes so well because the CGI is on such a grand scale, but also it's mixed with real life grandeur in the mountains. Um, And I think that's the same type of thing with Dune is in the desert. Like it's just grand. It's very spiritual and esoteric. And you mix that with futuristic kind of technology and stuff like in the the worms, it just looks real. Um, And when you can blend the two, it doesn't always work. Um, but I think Star Wars already does do that well, but even just having shooting for the stars even more because Dune is just set to such a precedent for sci-fi, what sci-fi can be, even though Star Wars in many ways is not really sci-fi, but on a visual level, I think that's where Star Wars does, can be considered sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think visual in terms of visuals, Star Wars could learn from Dune. Yeah, definitely. Just in terms of like the the scope of the movie, um, you had kind of, I guess, probably the closest of the Star Wars films that you know kind of came close to the same sort of scope was probably the Last Jedi, um, which you know felt a little bit larger in scale. Uh, just some of the stuff, and I don't know if that's partially because you know a lot of it took place out in space, so you know you're able to to pull back quite a bit and get a little bit of extra but but yeah for yeah 165 million dollars uh that's that's shocking that it that it could look this good and uh i mean you have to have people that really you know understand like how to use that technology i remember um hearing something i think it was about the time when they announced that chloe Zhao was going to be doing um the eternals film but i remember reading something that like before a director even gets to a Marvel film, they're like, here's where, you know, the characters need to be for the action sequences because they've already started working on them like, <laughs> like prior to. So um, it maybe doesn't, you know, lead to the creativity and letting a director's vision come through all the way. Um, so maybe just, you know, allowing for that a little bit more and, 
you know, just kind of expanding the horizon. Um, but I do like the like the idea of bringing the budgets down and making them, you know, at, at the same time, I just, you know, talked, you know, here for a couple minutes about how to make them bigger and more epic, but um, maybe to to bring them down and more intimate and, and sometimes as well. So you're just getting a, a better blend. Um, I guess just kind of left with the last, you know, Star Wars film we saw on the big screen was Rise of Skywalker, which I actually really like, but it, it moves so fast, you don't really uh, get a chance to appreciate that. And that was one of the things that I really liked about Dune was the pacing of it. And, you know, it just it just kind of lingered on all of these big epic shots just, just a little bit longer um, and made them feel more impactful there. So that that kind of, you know, takes care of the visuals for me. As far as the audio goes, I think that um, Lucasfilm's actually moving in this direction uh you know we've got you know the john williams scores which are you know obviously brilliant and timeless but you have stuff like the like the mandalorian the soundtrack um the mandalorian what's his name oh ludwig oh, Gorenson. Uh, ludwig yeah there ludwig Gorenson. so it kind of moving away from that with what we'd seen in the mandalorian with um uh ludwig there um but then really I got a lot of similar vibes, like in the Bad Batch, the way that they were using sound. It was a lot more visceral feeling than Star Wars, you know, has been in the past. And it had kind of this blend of kind of some classical stuff and more of, um, you know, kind of these atmospheric sort of sounding uh, sound and music moments. So I think actually the Lucasfilm is kind of moving in that direction and, you know, starting to, you know, get a little bit more distance on the traditional, like classical uh, film score that we're used to in the you know from the skywalker saga yeah just kind of along with i would say greg frazier who shot rogue one shot dune so i think there's certain you can tell especially in some of the desert scenes in uh on jetta some of the similarities between dune and star wars um but i just wanted to kind of add that like even more of that kind of from Greg Frazier would be great, but mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't want to sound uh, presumptuous, you know, like um, and be like, <laughs> I don't think Lucasfilm needs our suggestions, you know. Like, I feel like no, <laughs> I feel like uh, it's pretty intuitive, like telling a good story and caring about the characters, like. So just kind of like Lucasfilm knows what knows what they're doing. Like it's intuitive. Like maybe like knowing the Joseph Campbell hero's journey helps helps people. But like if people are telling stories, it's intuitive. They're already doing it. If you write, you're a writer, and y- you get better. You know. Uh, mm-hmm. All I say is like just find the creators who love story and characters and let them tell the story they want to tell and uh with the with the characters they love and that's what i would say you know because that's that's really what i felt in dune is just like it was a great film and it was just the film that denny villeneuve wanted to make and i think that's pretty neat same here (laughs) yeah that is that is pretty neat um yeah, like like you said, I they don't really need our advice. They have 
they have you know top of minds working on uh this kind of stuff but yeah i mean it's it's just important and i think i think you see that in a lot of the you know the television stuff that's been out and is coming i mean you can tell just in listening to the way like deborah chow talks about um directing and getting into the obi-wan uh stuff and uh bryce dallas howard and you know just just the way that they they talk about it you know whether you've you know cared for their particular episodes but you you can tell that there's a passion there for for what they're doing and um i think that that you know makes me uh hopeful for you know what's what's to come next yeah i'm excited to see uh the stories that that are told in in the future you know and i think we're we're gonna just see some interesting cinema like i think we've kind of talked earlier about this i forget where Maybe it was episode 56, you know, uh, we were kind of talking about, like, uh, The Last Jedi and the Hero's Journey, but, um, I think we might see, like, films that, like, are kind of responding to Corona, like, kind of like, maybe not every film needs to be, you know, a grand superhero fest where they, they save it a huge city, you know, maybe it'll be more kind of grounded, kind of about, like, everyday struggles, the everyman, you know, like, and I think Marvel yeah. is, is kind of moving in that direction, too, like, it's intuitive, they, they know what they're doing, uh, I, I've been very impressed with the Disney Plus content, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess just to kind of wrap up here are Dune and Star Wars, you know, kind of kind of parallels and and lessons to learn. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that if you look at if you look at Dune uh, as as, you know, objective outsider, I it's it's brilliant. And, you know, it brings a lot of great ideas and, you know, methods of storytelling and the way that you're bringing, um, you know, this large cast of actors together. And, you know, I think that, you know, movies, especially big budget films, are going to look at what it was able to accomplish cinematically in terms of, you know, a, you know, being a, a high quality film as well and, and take some lessons. And I think that directors will probably look at something like Dune and say, you know, if, if Denis Villeneuve could do that with Dune, then I could do, do something like that, you know, at, on this epic scale as well right so uh yeah so maybe there's uh, a lot more creative minds out there uh looking to the future and what they can do with you know this uh huge galaxy of stories yeah maybe i can make the cave of forgotten dreams too where you see another cave you know but like instead of warner yeah. herzog it would be me you know narrating <laughs> about a cave you know mm. i'll be like and this is like where I don't know, like some <laughs> handprints happened, you know, like yeah. we do not know from whence they came, but they are here, you know, but yeah. Now so. I'm just picturing you doing a like a mystery science theater of the cave painting, uh, yeah. Warner Herzog documentary. Oh. Uh, you write the script and I'll, I'll do it. So, um, perfect. Yeah. Uh, where can our listeners find you, Pete? You can find me on Instagram at Oh, cool. You can also follow me on Twitter at the same username. And I was just thinking also my letterbox, or not my letterbox. Well, actually, yeah, my letterbox. 
um, which is also, I think that might be under Enfys, Nessie. Um, that one I use actually pretty regularly. So those are a few of the platforms I'm using right now. Thank you for coming on again. It's always fun to talk uh, Star Wars and, and film with you. Uh, and then Brian, yeah. um, mm-hmm. what is your letterbox if you want to plug it? Uh, my letterbox is uh, Drink the Movies, uh, which is the name of the other podcast I'm on. Plug, plug, plug. Um, there, so you can go and follow that. So I try. I've I've only recently started using it because Cassia guilted me into it for not logging my movies appropriately. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So I'm on there. I'm more active now. So definitely uh, give me a follow there, and I try to try to give good reviews. Uh, I try to be a, have a little fun with them, but you know, pretty pretty uh, straightforward in and what I think about things so yeah and then uh, I'm Cassia Lawrence on Letterbox. so maybe you guys can find us or maybe you'll find similar accounts to us and follow the wrong people but we're yeah. just all about that letterbox love <laughs> so uh right. may the spice flow with you uh which is kind of a mixture of you know Star Wars and Dune so Yeah. Have a good one and take care. And you can find us on Instagram at Old Republic Podcast. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. And if you want to connect with us on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. On Patreon, the link is in our Instagram bio, or you can find it at www.patreon.com slash Old Republic Podcast. And the Old Republic Podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscription, reviews, and shares help us out. Our intro theme was composed by Dennis S. Mowers at DennisMowersMusic.com. Our outro theme was composed by Alistair Sherman at AlistairSounds.Wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at ChristianWalkerMusic.com. This episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the Force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.